There is so much beauty in the diversity of this world. However, people can be so quick to judge one another. And these judgments and limiting beliefs about other people can sometimes lead to life-altering events, which can cause us to view ourselves and the world differently. It can happen in the grocery store or going for a walk in your neighborhood and even on the school ground. These events leave us asking, who are we as individuals? And what does that mean about this world? So today I am speaking with Kevin Hunting, the kindness coach, who talked with me about how we can cultivate more understanding, compassion, and love for each other by looking inward with curiosity about ourselves. Kevin describes himself as a humanist whose mission is to lead the way for people to live with reverence of each other as fellow humans. I'm so glad I can share our conversation with you. And after the show, my ebook, 24 Ways to Find Calm in Your Busy World, is now available for you, podcast listeners, for free at empowerededucator.com slash ebook. Here you will find 24 ways to feel more ease and joy by noticing the things that are all around you that usually are out of sight. I did all the work for you and it's yours for free. So download your copy today at empowerededucator.com slash ebook. Remember all the passion and vision you had when you first went into teaching? Feeling like building young minds and creating community through your work would make a lasting impact on this world? Well, those days may feel like they're behind you now because you're exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed and frustrated, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be like this. In fact, the love of teaching never really went away, but it absolutely needs transformation. Welcome to the Take Notes Podcast. I'm Jen Rafferty, former music teacher, mom of two, and certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I'm here to light the way for you. In order to create a generational change for our kids, we need to shift the paradigm away from the perpetual stress and overwhelm and into a life of joy and fulfillment. This is Education 2.0, where you become the priority, shift how you live your life, and how you show up both at work and at home. So take a sip of steamy morning coffee and grab your notebook. It's time to take notes. Welcome back to another fabulous episode of Take Notes. I cannot wait to get started into this conversation with Kevin Hunting, who is the kindness coach and is a devout humanist. Kindness and compassion are two of his biggest drivers because he believes that every individual deserves respects for being human, period. And his big why is to create a kinder and more compassionate world. And he loves nothing more than to connect with people who are seeking their own personal growth so they can make an even bigger impact in their lives and in this world. And he supports lots of overwhelmed leaders and purpose-driven organizations and help them develop their emotional intelligence that is necessary to lead with greater ease, with more kindness, inspiration, and of course, impact. So thank you so much, Kevin, for talking with me on Take Notes today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I would love to know your journey that led you to be the kindest coach and a devout humanist. How did that get started for you? Why are you here? If I take it all the way back, I can tell you that there have been very specific events in my life, I think, that have helped shape that part of being a humanist and just sort of, I do believe that every single human being deserves respect and kindness, like period. Again, regardless of all the other stuff that we want to layer on top in terms of our perceptions or the preconceived notions of who we have or who we think a person is. And I can tell you that two 
significant, I think, things that played out when I was younger was I was bullied at a young age. I played a lot with the girls on recess because I kicked ass on the bars, which is where all the girls played. And because I excelled at it, you know, I remember there was one guy that really stood out and actually started calling me names, called me a girl, called me, I think, a fag, whatever. And at that age, I was just like, I'm having fun, right? I'm just enjoying my time playing bars with the girls. But it was the first time it was significant because it was the first time that someone made me aware of something that I was just, you know, having a good time, but made me start to question, I think, as a young child, A, what did that mean and what was behind it? And I remember leaving recess crying. He made me cry. So I left and went back in to the school. And that stood with me. You know, that's one of those life events that sticks with you and certainly shapes the way that I was viewing the world, I think, and even viewing myself. But that was just one thing where I believe that had a big impact on me, obviously. And then also just coming to terms with myself and my own sexual identity was a huge event in my life that really forced me to look at myself in a much more deeper way about who I was sexually, who I was attracted to, what did that mean for me? And even the coming out process was pretty heavy with my mom and my brother, who I came out with when I was probably about 20 years old. And then I think the other piece that kind of has shaped me is just, I grew up with my youngest uncle had Down syndrome. And so I was always around him as a young child. And I remember, again, not really at first understanding that he had Down syndrome or that that made him different. And I remember that when we would go out as a family to either have dinner or he would be in public with us, people would stare, they would gawk, and it really set me off because I was like, why are people being so insensitive? You know, he is who he is. He's my uncle and he has Down syndrome. I mean, and I I started to come to realize that honestly, he taught me a lot about unconditional love, just the grace of giving, like someone who was always giving and sort of honestly to me, an angel on this planet. I was like, you know what? You're such a beautiful human being. And I feel like it's what I sought when I was younger and growing up was I was just always drawn to understanding people, but also understanding people who were quote unquote different than myself, who really weren't different, but who we learn are different. We learn this as children, that it's through our parents that we receive a lot of those messages. And I felt like I was fortunate enough that it was always that sense of input, like curiousness and being inquisitive and wanting to better understand people that I, that's what I connected with. And then I studied sociology. It really is what I studied. I took gender studies. I took Latin American studies, women's studies courses, African-American studies courses. And so I just am like, what this world is beautiful. Like all the diversity that is out there to me is just the beauty of creation. And really it is creation to me. That is what humanity is. And so that's just what I believe wholeheartedly. And I know it's really tough for me when I see that people are so quick to judge others. It's just, there's so much beauty to be found through a connection that at first, maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable entering into, but once you do, it could be life-changing. So I think that's where I'd say my, when I call myself a humanist, I just feel like we all are deeply connected in one way or the other. I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you for sharing your stories. As teachers, which is mostly educators, the the audience that's listening to this podcast, you know, we are in a position to be there when some of these interactions that you're describing take place and these moments that matter and these 
moments where we start to create meaning and start to be curious as, okay, well, who am I, right? As, you know, seven-year-old Jen or or 10-year-old Kevin, right? You know, who am I and what does that mean in relationship to the other people around me? And then what do we learn about ourselves in those moments? And what's so interesting is educators try to set up structures that are comfortable for kids to safely discover who they are as best they can. At least I'd like to think so. I like to wear my rose-colored glasses. (laughs) However, at the same time, if we ourselves as the adults in these spaces aren't actively practicing this with the other adults in these spaces, those are actually the messages that are louder than anything you could possibly say to a kid. So I would love to talk more about the adults in these spaces and how we can essentially be the change that we want to see in our kids. And I love how you said curiosity versus judgment. How do we move from judgment to curiosity? I mean, I think the first step is what you sort of touched on, which is I think that it comes with awareness. You have to step into, I think, really better understanding who you are as an adult, especially for Turkey talking about education, people who are in the educational space who are adults. I think it's understanding what you are bringing to the table. And I think it's understanding some of those preconceived notions or even the messages that you may have received growing up. It's only true awareness that you can start to better understand, I think, what that means in relationship to understanding a child and them discovering for themselves who they are. And I say that because I think many times, like you said, it's that adult's own message and their view of who they think this person is that's coming through. And so to me, getting to almost a place of emotional neutrality or like neutrality in terms of judgment is where I would say like a young child is going to thrive with an adult because you're really just allowing the child to explore who they are and be that maybe a sounding board or just someone who can listen versus maybe providing direction when it's necessary in cases where, of course, the child might be thinking about harming themselves or something like that to step in. But what I'm saying is, is that I think for many adults, it's easy to want to go to a place where you immediately want to tell a child what to do or what to think or who to be versus the more emotional neutrality and judgment that you can sort of hold space for when you're with the child. So let let the child just sort of express themselves in a way that allows them to either get clarity or say like, oh, wow, you know, I'm like learning something about myself in that process. I think that would be sort of an ideal state. And that is looking at it through very rose-colored glasses as well. But I also believe that it is a really critical space, like you said, for children. I mean, from a developmental standpoint, right? They're spending more time robbing with the teacher than they may be with their own parents since they're in school for such a large period of time. I mean, we spend how many years of our lives in total with really influential people and that there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of power and responsibility. And I think it's beautiful when hopefully teachers can understand that about themselves and maybe have the awareness of what they might be bringing so that they can better understand how that might impact a child who is questioning themselves or just coming to terms with who they are and wanting to make sense of it. I mean, not to get off track, but I do live in the state of Florida. And as you know, they passed a bill that was that said, you know, the don't say gay bill, which has, I think, created a lot of implications for children who might be going through that period of trying to understand their either gender identity, their sexual identity, their gender expression. And a lot of that, imagine the harm that could be done 
if now someone really can't even be there for that child or has to overthink what they're saying for fear of litigation or liability because of this law that it's pretty ambiguous in terms of how it can be used. And that, that's an example of, of course, in Florida, and I'm sure this exists across the nation, but all you beautiful teachers out there that are connecting with your children and allowing them that space to just express themselves. I mean, I send lots of love to you because I know it is such a critical role. It's a very important role. Sure. And getting back to really the heart of what you were talking about, and I, <laughs> there's actually a big heart right behind Kevin, by the way, <laughs> for, those, for those of you who are listening who can't see, yes, there's this beautiful graphic of this gorgeous heart. Getting back to that, it's really about understanding who you are. And I like what you said about emotional neutrality. And when we're talking about interactions between the adults in these spaces, these are the examples that these kids are also watching because in order to provide spaces for inclusion and kindness and compassion for these kids, you know, with that example that you just used, many of whom are just trying to figure themselves out, we need to figure ourselves. That's the adults. So this idea of what you were saying, of we often come to a situation with an idea of what we want this other person who we're talking to, what who they should be, mm-hmm. how they should be, what they should say. And those do, like you said, come from our upbringing and the beliefs that we've had. And when we come to a conversation, a conflict, an interaction with those preconceived notions, we don't actually see the person who's in front of us anymore. So can you talk a little bit about that communication piece, that interaction, and how in learning more about ourselves, can we show up for others better? One example that I use all the time with a lot of people that I work with is when the word getting curious to me and curiosity is a very powerful place to operate from in any leadership role. And we're talking here about education. And when I say getting curious, I think there's sometimes more power in either just listening or perhaps asking questions that would help a child either gain their own clarity for themselves about what they mean versus maybe making statements, which is so easy to do. And that's kind of how we talk. The language that we learn is one where I don't want to say it sounds absolute, but a lot of times, right, it's more directive and typically might sound something like, well, you should feel this way when maybe the child is saying something completely different about how they're feeling. And just getting curious might be, well, like, why are you feeling okay? Or what is making you feel the way that you feel? And so that to me, the idea of getting curious, I think can be, creates that space and also creates, I think, the foundation for a child to be able to really fully open up and feel that they're able to express themselves and be listened to in a way where you're not making statements. You're actually just trying to understand better or understand more. It's a weird thing because with the clients I work with, it doesn't come naturally. That approach doesn't come naturally because, again, we're not really taught this. And we're also not taught, really, I'd say as adults, I can say for myself, I was never really taught how to understand my emotions. There was no course that I took in high school that was like how to make sense of your emotions or building emotional intelligence and what's that process of doing it. And I feel like that is another big step for adults is to start to understand what your emotions are telling you and to really tune into them because they are telling you something. And that's where sometimes you can get into more of that reflective piece and understand better what's going on and why maybe you believe certain things by understanding the emotions that you're experiencing. I feel like that's something that should be in our educational system is it's some coursework around how to understand what your emotions are telling you. 
Yeah. And there are right now, which is great news. You know, there is a big push in many places. There are places where it's not allowed, (laughs) but there are many places there are promoting social emotional learning because that is part of our humanness. And where Empowered Educator comes in is I am very aware that a lot of these programs leapfrog over the adults. And so mm-hmm. Empowered Educator is really about focusing on the social emotional well-being of the adults so they can provide an incredible foundation of social emotional learning for their kids because you can't teach something that you are influent in yourself. So mm-hmm. you know, this is also your area of expertise, this emotional intelligence world. So how can people get started understanding their emotions and just kind of crack open the door a little bit to emotional intelligence if they're not quite familiar yet. There's a very simple steps, like three steps that you could take or what I call power questions that can, I think, be a starting point for a lot of people. And this may be through journaling and it could be through either some mindfulness type practices if you're into that. But the first question that you simply could ask yourself is, what am I feeling? And to be able to name the emotion that you're feeling first but then to go a little bit deeper and understand that what are the thoughts that are resulting in whatever I'm feeling. So then you're able to connect the idea that there is a deep connection between our thoughts and the emotions because emotions are happening because of some something that we're thinking. And then I think you can take it even one step further and understand in what ways are those thoughts either like, is there any evidence to support the thoughts that I'm even telling myself that are resulting in what I'm feeling? And typically, a lot of times what we're feeling is those own preconceived notions of what we think it should be. And when you typically will ask that question about, is there any evidence to support what I'm thinking? Nine times out of 10, answer probably going to be no. And so then you can work on understanding how to maybe change that perspective or come from a more empowering place where the person can start to operate differently than they normally would, or what I call like our programming, sort of that wiring that we all, that default programming that we all have based on our own life experiences and growing up. So just simply asking yourself like three or four simple questions is a great starting place to start to make sense of your emotions. And then, of course, you can build on that. But that's a great place to start. So can we put an example in there that I think would be really helpful to just kind of conceptualize? What does this even look like? I'll give you an example, like probably in relationships, because I know everyone has either family relationships, intimate relationship, whatever relationship it could be. One thing that this could be a good example is your spouse, your significant other, whoever you share your life with. If you do, maybe comes in in a hastily fashion, walks through the front door and kind of makes a beeline for their own space in the room or whatever. And immediately you might start to feel like, wow, like what's going on? You're going to start asking, you know, this person seems so distant when they came in and now they're, they, they didn't even really say hi like they normally do. And so our thoughts probably are most logically going to go to a place where we think we start to question A, what's going on? But most people might even take it a step further and think, was it something that I did? Like, what did I do? Did I upset this person? And so you start to immediately go to a place where you are making it about yourself. And that's that place where the the thought pattern is coming in, where you can stop and say, wait a minute, what evidence do I have to support the idea that I am somehow at fault for this person's state of being. And typically there's nothing that you could probably come up with that you're like, well, I haven't done anything. So it's a really simple example, but it's like we go through these microseconds and those these types of things daily where what's the possibility of what that thought could lead to, right? What if you go up there 
and you want to connect with the person and you want to be there in a way where you're caring, but you're thinking that. So your first thing is going to be like, I'm, you know, what happened? Like, what did I do? Like, what if you just verbalize that? And the person's then like, what do you mean? What if you didn't do a damn thing? Like I just, and then it's going to give you the real story, the actual story, which is maybe they just got cut off by somebody in traffic or Maybe they just had a horrible experience if they just went to the supermarket and came back or a a really crappy day at the office. And so these are examples that typically are, seriously, they're playing out all the time. And imagine the emotional neutrality piece to connect it back. Like if you just stayed emotionally neutral, what would that even look like then in terms of the thoughts that you would have? Because it has nothing to do with you. But yet immediately our go-to might be like, well, I did something wrong or what did I do? And, And that that has huge implications. Yeah, it sure does. And I love this idea of emotional neutrality in those moments. But you need to be aware first, which is the whole thing about your first step. And you're 100% right. These things happen all day, (laughs) all day. And when we're constantly making these narratives about us and fault, right? Or mm-hmm. blame or judgment, then we continue to think those thoughts and then feel crappy all the time. And then it, of course, will affect how we show up in all of the spaces and places where we need to be. So if awareness is step one, what's step two? I think step two is doing the work to understand how you can shift those perspectives and become really in touch and tune with When you are telling yourself a narrative that is taking you to a place that's probably going to either create stress, self-doubt, some worry, maybe anxiety, or whatever it is that you're experiencing because of it, it's understanding that that there is an alternative to that, that there can be an alternative to that because what you, the thoughts that you were telling yourself were false. And so you then can start to replace that with what might be a more empowering thought for me to use or to think in this particular circumstance. And in that one, the one that I just gave, it could be just recognizing that you're like, you know what? My thought is that, well, something happened. I don't know what happened, but what I am going to do is the narrative I am going to tell myself, I'm going to show up like the loving spouse or partner or person that I want to show up as. And I'm going to go enter into that from that level from a different perspective. And so imagine what the conversation might look like and how different it might be if you went into it being that loving, caring, compassionate person and to the person that obviously is upset or something happened. And these, I mean, in the educational system, there's so many things going on, I'm sure, in every single moment that it's hard. It takes a lot of mindfulness and practice to be able to do that. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't like you can wave a wand and somehow you're able to step into a different space of how the thoughts that you're having, it really takes practice. And that's where I think it gets challenging for people too, is to be able to, A, first be aware of it, but then start to challenge it and then work through it in a way that you, it becomes, it feels more normal versus always going to a place where we want to just make it about ourselves. Yeah. And it is always a practice. You know, it's, I would love if one day we all just woke up and we're like, oh, we're empowered now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. And, you know, these are practices that I practice, that you practice every day. This is the work. This is the the beautiful work that we get to do to create that impact. In that example, I just thought of, you know, something that happened years ago. I was in the office of one of my administrators and another Mm -hmm. one of my administrators was in there. He looked at me and made a face and like, 
stormed out of the room. And then I was there with my other administrator. He had mentioned something to me that I needed to follow up on or, or whatever it was. And in my mind, the narrative was this other person was angry, but couldn't tell me the thing that this other administrator had to tell me. And I sat with that. And I remember thinking like, is this true? Is, is this actually true? So I actually went to that other person and I sat down with him and I said, listen, this thing happened. What was that about? If you have something to tell me, I would love it if you could just tell me. It had nothing to do with me. But what did happen was that I was able to open a door to communication where if there was any misunderstanding moving forward, we were then able to have a conversation and that was safe now. It wasn't scary. It wasn't intimidating. So awareness is important, but then it's like, okay, well, like, well, then what? <laughs> then right. What? And funny, I said being mindfulness and practice and shifting sort of the way that we think is the next step. But one of the, again, tools that you can use, which I think you're also, I hear you saying is, is just get curious because getting curious is you getting the evidence that you need or the data that you need to understand where that person is. And so instead of maybe even going in with it, with anything, you could just say, hey, what's going on? I noticed that you were kind of came in in a very hasty fashion and sort of made a beeline to your office or your the room or whatever to have your own space. Hey, I just want to, what's going on? Like a simple question like that gives, already creates the space where you're like, I don't even even, I don't, I'm not going to tell myself anything. I'm not going to feed myself any narrative. I'm just going to go get the information that I need because I recognize that I could feel that there was something happening here in this situation. And again, it, that does not come naturally to us. It's like that takes practice. That's where curiosity to me in almost any situation is so much more beneficial because it eliminates the need for you to even have to think about whatever it is. You're just getting the real information from whatever it is, the source. And then you can work with that. If it is, if it does include you, hey, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this because I want to make sure that we're both in a great place or in a better place. So how do we work together to do that? And I mean, it's so simple. But again, none of us, I think, are really armed with this. We're not armed with this type of information. And it, it's powerful. Leadership from a place of curiosity is always, it's empowering. It is empowering by nature because the curiosity is the place of empowerment. You're not making any judgments. You're trying to stay, again, as neutral as possible until you have more information. Rather than imagine how many people's right days are ruined because they've already fed themselves a narrative that A, there's no evidence to support and that people can spend hours stewing in this. Like they'll build this narrative up and it's like a bulldozer. Like it'll literally just take over your day. And like, as you mentioned, then every interaction or anything that's happening during that time period, you may not even be showing up in the best way that you know is going to be really represents you and who you are. It's representing a part of you that when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. You're like, well, there's, it's just what I'm telling myself. That's all it is. Right. And, you know, instead of those rose-colored glasses or prescription lenses we both have on, this lens of this crappy story. And so how can you show up to a meeting, to a conference, to a class that you're teaching, truly your most authentic self, ready to hold space for other people if your mind is clouded by this narrative? And in this example, too, of, of really getting curious, what a great exercise in finding your voice and using your voice. So often we just want to shrink and be quiet and not be heard. But when we speak up in curiosity and with compassion, 
that's when we really start to open doors to change culture in the organizations which we exist in. Absolutely. That's why it's so important. I feel like it's, you know, again, a lot of narratives are happening based on information that we're just telling ourselves, which again, there's no evidence to support. And that's leading teams of people, groups of people, whoever you're interacting with, down a certain path. And is it optimal? No, it probably isn't optimal. Imagine if more conversations in any work environment were kind of bound by this idea of curiosity and compassion more. What would you need to do if you're listening out there? What would you need to do in order to step into that space where you, you can have more curiosity and compassion in your day to day and the conversations that you're having? You know, one thing that comes to mind right away is ego. You know, a lot of people, and this is also just a human thing. This is the job of our ego, right? We just need to be right because when we're right, then it's safe. And so how do you talk with people who are kind of navigating that? Because that can be an obstacle in curiosity is just kind of (laughs) telling your ego to just take a back seat, please. That's a great question. And it's a tough one. Um, It's, yeah, I mean, to me, that's the idea of ego is... Also a place where I think it does shut things down. I think it's rather than creating an open space where people can feel comfortable, safe, and open to be able to share what they want. That also creates, I think, cultures where you get into, you know, like the, the yes type of cultures where people are just saying yes to people, even though they may disagree or have a differing opinion or perspective. But because you know that that person is so attached to what they believe it should be or what, you know, being right, this idea of being right. That's a false narrative as well. I'll tell you that because one question that you can always ask yourself is, well, what's your measure to know that you're right? How are you measuring and you know with evidence that you're right? And in most circumstances, when you stop and ask someone that, it just sort of shuts it down because you're like, well, there is none. And so to me, then it's, well, then it's just what you think you're saying is what you believe to be right. But that doesn't mean that it is. It just means that that, that's what you think. And that there's five other people in this room that may be thinking other things. And wouldn't it be beautiful to be able to to listen to five, four other perspectives um, at the same time so that we can choose what might be the best? Honestly, it's a very stressful place to operate from. If you're running around thinking that I need to be right, I have to be right. Trying to control all of that is just, it's exhausting. I mean, it is an exhausting place to operate from. And there's a lot more ease and beauty in just sort of taking a step back and being and understanding that I'm going to share my own opinion because I do have an opinion as a leader. And so I'm going to put that forward. But I also recognize that that's exactly what it is. It's not that I'm right. It's just what I think. And I want to engage other people because in that sense, right, what do you think is stronger? Just one person always being saying what they think it is. And then that's it. End of story. How is that really moving things forward and creating a better culture or a better environment or a smarter environment? You know, I mean, I think great leaders in any area recognize that they're like, you know what? I have amazing people that work with me. I want to listen to them. That's why they're here too. And that builds respect, collaboration, all of these. The dynamic is so different and the outcomes are going to be so different depending on, like you said, if someone's just really attached to that idea of being right. There is no right. Just what you think. Well, that's right. (laughs) You're right, Kevin. That's right. But, you know, that is really fundamental to creating these cultures of kindness and compassion as going back to really what it is that you do in this world is helping leaders and organizations get there. 
that curiosity piece is is really just the seedling to all of the things, it sounds like. It is. I mean, I think the other thing I would put out there is we talk a lot a lot about like the the scenarios that we're playing out in terms of this idea of what we think and also correlates to like what we feel. It's really important that I think, you know, most leaders out there understand that it should be something that you're looking at in terms of your performance. Like what you feel should be a measure of how effectively you're leading yourself and those around you. Can you say that one more time for the people in the back? (laughs) Yes. So one of the primary measures in any environment should be how you're feeling as it relates to your ability to effectively lead people. So you should be understanding what you're feeling, and that should be a measure. And your weekly, what if you have dashboards or whatever you're using to measure your success. And if you're out there constantly feeling 60% of the time in a week that you're overwhelmed, stressed, anxiety, there's all of those things that are going on in your mind, and that's where you're kind of operating from. To me, that would be a sign that I'm like, you know what? What's the opportunity for me to actually be a better leader in all of this? Because no one wants to feel that way all the time. I don't know one person that's like, you know what? Bring it on. Like, I want more stress and anxiety. Just bring it on. I love it. If I can take it from 60% to 90%, no. Most people are like, I'm tired. I don't want to feel this way. Yet what they don't understand is they're the answer to their own problem, conundrum. You technically are the one making yourself feel this way. No one else is. And so I think there's also a notion of accountability there as well. You know, that it does take a pretty big person to be able to understand that that's the case and to sort of step into that taking responsibility for themselves and what they really want. Yes. And at the end of the day, that is social emotional learning that needs to take place. That is the social emotional learning that never, ever stops. That is the learning that we get to use and provide examples for as the adults in the rooms to show our kids what it means to be human and live a life feeling great. And when we're not, how to navigate through that so we can feel great and do the things we want to do in this world. That's it. It's simple, but it's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. It is. Like you said, this just needs to be, I think, more people, if they would allow themselves to step into it, that notion of accountability. There's just such a lighter place that you could be operating from more of the time. It's not that you're never going to not experience some frustration or anger or whatever. That's totally normal and human. But if you're living in that space, it certainly is going to have implications on how you're living your life and where you're at in your life. Yeah, 100%. So I end every episode of Take Notes with the same question. What is your dream for the future of education? I think my dream is is based on my own experience, which is I wish that every child has the ability to really understand and explore who they are in an environment that is bound by kindness, love, compassion, and respect, so that that child has the ability to A, understand and embody that for themselves and not feel like they're being judged, but to also be able to then understand better for themselves what that even means. I mean, what a beautiful gift to give a young child, which is the space and the beauty and the love that allows them to flourish versus perhaps creating a different environment where the child starts to second guess themselves or like you said, pulls back or disengages, or that's what's going to make some really amazing, beautiful leaders in this world. And so I think that's my desire is that every child would have that hopefully ability to have that experience. Yet the adults 
you're a part of this equation. And so that's why your role is so powerful and critical in all of this. Yes, absolutely is. And this is really how we get started doing that. So thank you for sharing your time and your expertise with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today, Kevin. Thank you for having me. So if you liked today's episode, be sure to leave a fantastic review and we'll see you next time on Take Notes. Incredible, right? Together, we can revolutionize the face of education. It's all possible and it's all here for you right now. Let's keep the conversation going at Empowered Educator Faculty Room on Facebook.